inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello. Today, we'll talk with a fascinating person who has traveled around the world, has been an aircraft pilot, and uh, many other things you will hear about him. Dr. Drum Magnothon is the CEO of Change Leader, an organization, change and leadership consultancy who helps education and nonprofit organizations implement strategic and programmatic change. Dr. Magnothon holds a PhD and a MA in Human and Organizational Systems from the Fielding Graduate Institute and a Bachelor in Science in Physics from the U.S. Naval Academy. He and his wife live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Drum. Hello, Oscar. Thank you for having me on your program. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you, Drum. It's uh, so fascinating what I read about you. Told a little bit about uh, your story, but please tell us a bit more. Something that uh, I might have not mentioned, and it's, it's worth to um, you to tell us. So you tell us. Uh, so how life led you to what you are today, the public speaker and and consultant that you are today? I'm happy to do so. I, you know, I've been very blessed. I've been in leadership roles most of my life. And I've always been able to speak very well and very clearly. I think I attribute that to my mother, who was an English teacher. And mm -hmm. to the day she died, she was still correcting my, <laughs> my grammar. So the, the, first, the first third of my career, like you mentioned, I spent time in the Navy flying airplanes and spying on people for a living. And, and most people would say, you know, what does that have to do with speaking? Well, We always had we had students that we had to be able to brief them. If we had a crew, we'd have to brief them on what was going on. And plus, with our ground jobs, we also had to be able to do briefings. So we got a lot of practice in in speaking. The second third was with industry and consulting. And as you can well imagine, there are a lot of presentations that you have to give to executives. And, and I worked on those as well. Uh, It was in this phase I started doing change management and realized how much communication is key to change management. And in this last third of my career, you know, sitting on board seats, chairing boards of, of directors and other places uh, in academe, teaching, running programs, et cetera, and consulting, you know, again, lots of presentations. So the speaking part just came kind of naturally. Uh, I get tongue tied and, You know, I try and inject a little humor into that, like, you know, next lifetime, I hope God gives me a better tongue so I don't trip over it, mm -hmm. things like that. But, uh, you know, it's just like you. You've, you've been a speaker for a long time, and you just kind of fall into it. You continue to practice your, your, your trade, your craft. <laughs> sure, sure. So. Each one finding uh, his own style. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> As you mentioned, um, the the thing that the, the main thing you're doing in in this part of your career is uh, this topic, the change management. That's something that I heard before. I guess many of the the ones we are listening to this I heard before, 
But could you tell us um, in a nutshell what is this change management? Sure. Uh, change management, if you look at the uh, definition from ProSci, which is one of the big change management uh, training firms out there, they say that change management is the process, the tools, and the techniques uh, to prepare and support individuals, teams, and organization in making change. Uh, it, it's, it's a fairly simple sentence, but it's a very complex topic. Uh, when we go in and we work with organizations, the majority of organizations can plan adequately. But the challenge is the execution, the implementation. T.J. Rogers wrote a book years ago called No Excuses Management, in which he said pretty much anybody can plan. If you want to get things done, you put your smartest people on implementation because that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's what change management is all about. It's getting people motivated toward a shared vision and being able to communicate that vision well and then putting the pieces in place in a logical order so that you can implement the change that an organization needs. Mm -hmm. And is this a discipline that has been for a long time? Yes, Uh It, it really has been formally recognized uh, for probably about 20 to 25 years. Again, T.J. Rogers' book, John Cotter wrote a book called Leading Change. Uh, he's a professor at Harvard, and he came out with a, a eight-step process of how to lead change things. So it was really established by those two gentlemen right there. Uh, the whole change management field. And of course, it's evolved as, as we become a little bit more mature in the subject matter. Also, as people change, I mean, now we've got five different generations in the workplace and not everyone communicates the same way. Sure. So change management becomes much more complex because you have to tailor your message to each of these different demographic groups. Mm -hmm. And who is usually the responsible person, the responsible role, or the responsible persons in an organization for change management? Well, ultimately, it's the CEO and the board, mm -hmm. but everyone who is in a position of responsibility is responsible for change management, whether it is communicating the change, implementing the change, supporting the change. It's... It's not like the old way of doing things where I'm the boss and you're going to do what I tell you to do. Uh, that's on the way out. People want a say on things that will affect them before that decision's made. In other words, they support what they help create. And so the process of change management has changed from a top-down to a top-down, bottom-up Let's get together. Let's set the expectations jointly. And so that's some of the changes that we've seen evolve over time. Yes. Uh, well, CEO, for instance, is, uh, as you said, typically one of the persons who is uh, responsible for that. That reminds me, I had uh, the pleasure to interview Nancy Duarte just a few months ago, and she mentioned this leadership and how the 
leader have leader has to steer the the organization the company and at some point when the leader made a decision that this is the right path for organization has to communicate that no that new new path and sometimes it's difficult because sometimes the change is uh, is hard no it's difficult so what could you tell us about communicating change what are the best practices or what, some stories you can tell me the the way of the top down approach has changed so much uh, it used to be that the ceo could stand up in the front of the room and say folks this is the way we're going to go and everyone would say yes sir yes sir yes sir uh it doesn't work what happens and i've seen this time and time again is when one person sets the direction you get resistance to change people get surprised they they don't like what's going on and really it boils down to three things they don't get it they mm. don't like it or they don't like you yeah <laughs> And so if you collaborate, you know, there's a lot of talk out there right now about involving stakeholders and the typical projects, 80% of them never realize the results that they had envisioned at the beginning. So by collaborating with stakeholders, giving them the understanding through transparency and, and other means of This is a situation we're in. The market's changing. Uh, we're not doing well financially. We want to stay in front of the markets, et cetera. Giving them an understanding of why the change is coming and then saying, let's work on this together. How do you think we should go about this? You know, the CEO never gives up his or her authority. But when you involve other people, that authority becomes far stronger. It's called referent leadership instead of formal leadership when you've got people on board like that when they buy into a shared vision not a top down vision but a shared vision that they collaboratively come up with you don't get resistance to change because it's everybody's idea if we've got time i'll give you a quick story about this uh i was working believe it or not, with the U.S. Air Force. Mm -hmm. And the organization that I was working with was a large reserve wing of a thousand people. And due to a change of mission, they had to completely redesign and retool their entire organization. Well, we did a strategic planning session to where we brought in the key stakeholders literally from all over the world to help validate what we were doing as the change management team, as the core leadership of the organization. And what they did was they validated, they bought it. When we rolled out the entire, and we did this every step of the way through the whole planning process. When we rolled out the new plan, They literally got a standing ovation of 500 people in the theater. Now, if you know the Air Force, if you know the military, it's very rare to get that kind of mm. response. But what was really neat is you could see out in the audience people turning to each other and saying things along the lines of, you see that? That was my idea. Mm. You've got that buy-in that people supporting what they help create 
it makes the implementation far easier. And you're able to recognize the expectations, recognize the gains that you had expected from the beginning. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yes. And you call it re referral leadership, referral change? How do you call it? Referent leadership, yes. Referent leadership. Yes. Yeah, really interesting story. Um, do you also have some other other concrete stories about um, also in organizations or in companies how uh, leaders manage to communicate this change? Well, you can take a look at President Obama, you know, as he was building up to the presidency and it was, yes, we can. Yes, we can. It was he was creating a belief that they could make the changes. I mean, this is a fabulous example of this. Jack Welsh, when he was the CEO of GE, mm -hmm. they called him Neutron Jack because he <laughs> would go in and blow things up. But he was also very, very good at doing change management. And I can give you an example of when you don't involve stakeholders. I mean, this one's even more poignant than, mm. than the examples of, of people who have done a good job. I was at a, a particular university and there was one, uh, a dean of one of the colleges who had come and reorganized the way that the advisors were going to work with faculty and with students. And he rolled this thing out without having consulted any of his deputies, any of the other people. This was his style. He was very top down. Well, at a meeting of the academic leadership team, when he rolled this out, every person at the table, and there were 15 people, all senior leaders at the organization in academics, were peppering him with questions because they didn't understand what he was doing. He'd made changes without consulting them, and they were the ones who had to implement the whole thing. Mm. That was a classic example of resistance to change. He ended up having to pull back all the changes and redo them because of that. So he he he, um, he planned the the whole the whole change by mostly by himself. Yes, exactly. Again. You'll, you'll hear me say it a thousand times when I'm working with my clients. People support what they help create. Mm, people support what they help create. Huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good phrase that uh, explains a lot what you are telling about change management. And now you mentioned one of your experiences with education, and I believe it's um, one of the main fields in which you are operating today. So how is, in general, what's what's going on in 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 educational institutions re referring to this topic? Well, education is a very unique culture. Uh, you have a group of highly educated people, mm. no pun intended, of course, uh, but they, because they're so highly educated, they think they know what needs to be done. And in many cases they do. But the other thing is most, I shouldn't say most, but many educators, especially those who are in more senior ranks, they have to learn how to work with people. And really the bottom line of change management, it's about relationships. It's about, do you trust me enough to, for us to go in this particular direction? Leadership is all about trust. 
part of the reason that you're seeing such a breakdown in trust, especially in the United States, is you see so many folks nowadays business. It's it's all about me. It's all about how much money I can make. Or, you know, President Trump is a great example of this. Uh, it's not so much what he can do for the entire country. It's what the country can do for him. I mean, John Kennedy is rolling over in his grave after his inaugural speech back in 1961, where he said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I mean, he's rolling over in his grave right now. So so it, it's all of these things that make change management so important. And it's in academe, they don't get that so much because they've never had to do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, times are changing faster and faster. And so I understand that some um, uh, head of uh, education institutions might be, might think that the uh, times are like 20 years back, even even less than that. But times are changing. Times are changing faster and faster. Thank heavens. <laughs> uh, and I'm still definitely intrigued with your experience in, in aviation as a pilot. So what could you tell us? Uh, there is any um, anything in common between this, um, this experience of being a pilot of an aircraft and, and change management? Well, it, it change, flying an airplane and change management, it, it's, it's very similar to life. It's always full of surprises. Mm -hmm. And how you plan for them and how you cope with them is key. We used to say in flying, it's hours of boredom interdispersed with moments of terror. Uh, something would happen. I, I remember flying along the coast of Italy one time mm -hmm. and we had a fire warning light mm -hmm. and alarm horn come mm -hmm. on and now the alarm horn i won't do it right now but it is very loud and mm -hmm. it immediately gets your attention yeah, I mean, yeah. right there your heart is racing but you're you're taught and the pilot training that you go through you're taught to handle the problem deal with the emotions later and so Change management is a lot like that, is you've got to handle the problem, but you've got to deal with the emotions at the same time. We talk about uh, in change management, at least my firm does, uh, the roller coaster of change, which is the emotional process people go through in change. It's, it's based on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book, Death and Dying, the Five Stages of of mourning the five stages of transitioning through an event similar to a death. And so as a leader, you've got to be able to communicate what's going on and understanding where the people are with their own emotions. I mean, that's different than flying because in flying you deal with the emotions later and there's much more of a, top-down structure, at least there was in the military when I was there. It's becoming less so now with, with the different generations coming in. But there are some parallels that, that were very helpful uh, for me when I first started on this path. Yeah, what a great uh, analogy you have done about this, uh, having the the emergency alarm and everything on the, uh, on the cockpit and, yeah, 
you have to yeah. calm down, solve the problem first, and emotions later. Yes, <laughs> I I can I can remember one time mm -hmm. when we were we were flying a, a small airplane on a cross country, and we had a uh, what's called a fire of unknown origin, which uh, basically you know explains what it is. It was that we could smell some sort of electrical fire in the airplane, oh. but we didn't know where it was coming from. So you mm -hmm. follow your procedures. Well, we were about a hundred about a hundred miles south of the uh, Norfolk Oceana Air Base uh, Air Air Station complex. And it's, if you're familiar with the, the geography in Virginia, you're out over the swamps. And of course, my mind is racing. Okay. I don't like snakes. It's, okay, uh -huh. I'm going to have to parachute into the uh, swamps, and there's going to be snakes there, and I don't want that. <laughs> so, you know, we went through all the procedures. We landed. We, you know, we were able to stop the fire. We took the electricity away from uh -huh. the source. And when we landed, I got down, you know, got out of the airplane, and I was literally shaking. I took my helmet off, and I threw it down on the runway. It was just a way to release the emotions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you deal with the emotions, but you have certain things that you've got to do to save your life. And so you put the emotions aside. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, well, <laughs> funny, funny story for call it uh, like that. But it's so unlucky yeah. that you are, you know, you are going to land in a place that is full of snakes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, Hours of boredom and moments of terror. <laughs> uh, Drum, could you now share with us what is your favorite quotation? I, I actually have two, Oscar, uh, and they're, they're both from uh, Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind of a smart guy, and I think you know, I, I think being able to quote him, it doesn't make me smart, but at least mm -hmm. makes people think I'm smart. <laughs> so. The first of those is insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm. I mean, this is change management at its at its epitome. We try and do the same thing each time and expect different results, and, and it just never happens. We don't get the results that we we want. So change management is is part of that. Is okay. How are you going to do it differently? so that you can get the results that you want. Mm -hmm. like the second of those is everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its entire life thinking it is stupid. Mm -hmm. Again, you, you wouldn't think that's change management, but it truly is because Bob, uh, you know, Jim Collins, his book, Good to Great, talked about having the right people on the bus. Well, that's critical, but you've got to have the right people on the right bus and in the right seat to be able to get done what you want to do. And if you don't do a good job with putting people in the roles that is best for them, mm -hmm. it may not be what's best for the organization, but what's best for them, then you can be more, you, you have the potential to be more successful in doing change management. But if you just say, you go do this job, then if it's not what they want to do 
or if it's what they're not capable of doing, you're setting the whole organization up for failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent quote. Also, having not only having the well, the best people, but putting in the in the right role so they do their best. It, it, exactly. I mean, you know, take take yourself for instance. You speak on a you speak on certain topics, and you're I've I've, mm-hmm. I've heard you speak. You're very very good. Thank you. But if you were to speak on a topic that was outside of your area of expertise, you wouldn't be as good until you learned the topic. And then maybe even even then you wouldn't because you wouldn't necessarily have the personal stories Mm -hmm. to be able to relate to it. So it's very it's very similar to that. You're not going to get up and speak about a topic that you don't know anything about. Why would you put somebody in a role for change management that they don't know anything about? That's so true. <laughs> Drum, could you now recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you? I'm sorry, I can't recommend one. <laughs> There's been probably four that that I that come to mind. <laughs> Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> so I already mentioned one, John Cotter's Leading Change. It's uh it was done probably 20 years ago, and it's it's really the Bible for how to do change management. Uh there's another one called Air by Ari de Geis, and it's A-R-I-E-D-E-G-E-U-S. And I know I'm mispronouncing that. He's he's Dutch, so it's probably Heiss. The book is called The Living Company, and he talks about the different types of organizations that are out there. And he basically breaks them down into two different categories. One is what he calls the economic company, and it's in business to create wealth for a select few. The other he calls the living company, and it's in business to stay in business and create an environment in which its employees can grow and thrive. Profits are important, but they're not the single exclusive thing, the reason that the company exists. I mean, that changed the way I thought about organizations in a major way. The third of those is Power Versus Force by Dr. David Hawkins. And that is a great book which talks about how people perceive the world and what the difference is between power versus force. We're starting to see that more and more especially here in America where we've had such an abuse of power. An abuse of power really becomes force. It's trying to force people to do things. Mm -hmm. Whereas power is a very natural thing that comes from the soul and it's granted to someone by others. It goes back to that referent leadership again. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a higher age way of doing things. The last one of these is a spiritual classic called Autobiography of a Yogi. And this is the story of Paramahansa Yogananda, who came over to America in 1920 to bring the teachings of yoga to America. And there's some incredible stories in there and some some true spiritual principles that I think everyone would do good by living by. Well, Lord. A lot to to check out definitely. I haven't read any of these four books, so well, I have to go and check them out. 
John, finally, could you share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend us doing it daily, weekly, a routine to shine? You know, I, I think this, this may surprise you a bit, Oscar, but what I'm going to tell you is I think every good speaker should meditate. Mm -hmm. Why? If, if you take a look at the mind, most people's minds are just jumbled up. It's analogous to taking a clear glass and dipping it in a muddy stream. You've got all the water there, but you've got all the mud that is, you know, just floating in the water. Mm -hmm. Well, that's 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 what the mind is. Generally, we, we fill it with so much garbage from day to day and we don't have a time to go inside, which is important. Uh, meditating, what it does to the mind is analogous to letting that glass with the muddy water sit. And you'll see after a while, all that mud goes down to the bottom and you see the clear water in the glass. That's what meditating does to the mind. What I've typically found and what I've seen many other folks do is when they can get in touch with that quieter self within each person, on the stage, they are far more dynamic. They are, it, it's almost like there is a higher power, an entity, the universe, God, whatever it is you call it, speaking through you. And when that happens, the message is far more poignant, powerful, and on topic for everyone in the audience. So I, that's, that's my own take, but I've been meditating now for 25 years and I can tell you that it has completely changed my life and I wouldn't be the speaker that I am if I didn't meditate. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Drum, for all these stories and your expertise you share with, about change management and your experience as a speaker. Thanks a lot for that. Please tell us finally how we can learn more about you or follow you. What are the best ways for that? Thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, the best way is probably to go up to my website, and it's thechangeleader.com, three words compressed into one, .com. And up there you'll see quite a bit about what we do for higher education institutions and what we can do for nonprofits and, and government organizations as well. So, again, thank you for asking. And, Oscar, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I've been uh, – you know, very pleased to, to have been here. And I, I certainly hope that I've been able to give you and, and your listeners something of value they can take with them. Thanks a lot and wish all the best. Thank you very much. You too, my friend. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 